Welcome to Grok Science. Today I'm joined with uh, Marta, uh, the author of Meat Hooked. And so this book came out in 2016, and it promises to be uh, the history and science of our 2.5 million year obsession with meat. Uh, welcome to the show, Marta. Uh, hello, thank you for having me. Um, so to open up, I guess I'd like to ask you, um, why did you write this book, Meat Hooked? So basically, I was just curious, what is it about meat that people have such trouble uh, reducing their consumption? And basically, why do we crave and love meat so much? Uh, you know, we've had in recent years, lots of information on how meat is not the best food for modern humans. Uh, you know, the World Health Organization famously last year, uh, you know, put some types of meat, like processed meat, uh, in the same uh, class of car uh, carcinogens, so substances that can cause cancer, like asbestos. So, you know, so there are, there are plenty of good reasons to stop eating or reduce our meat eating uh, habits. Uh, and, you know, there is environmental concerns, you know, meat eating uh, is responsible for as much uh, the CO2 or the, you know, the climate change uh, gases as, as all the transportation combined. So all the planes, cars and so on. And yet, you know, we do not as a society wants to lower our consumption. So what was bothering me was the question why? You know, why despite all the articles saying, you know, eat more veggies, eat less meat, blah, 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 meatless Mondays and so on, why why the consumption is still going up? Because in 2015, the, you know, Americans ate record amounts of meat. So what's happening? Why are we so attached to it? And basically that's why I started the research and uh, which took me, you know, uh, into paleoanthropology and neurobiology and chemistry and marketing and history and all these different um, areas of uh, science. So um, I guess uh, you accept that um, that meat is sort of bad for human health as well as for the environment. Uh, certainly, the in that depends. Okay, so it depends for okay. modern humans living in the West. The way we are eating meat, it is bad for us. Yes, and for certainly for environment. So what do you mean by the way that we're eating meat? Uh, we are basically just eating far too much of it. Definitely, definitely in the West, uh, for most people, uh, they would be better off if they didn't eat any meat. I'm saying in the West and for most people and so on, because, for example, you know, if you are a hunter-gatherer living in Africa, uh, you have to eat meat because the, the, others, the other products that are available for you uh, are not good enough. So in certain situations but they are very you know there are situations that most of us in the west that, that doesn't apply but uh, but in it's not that every human on earth should stop eating meat right now because for some people they have to i see so this this is somewhat a problem with um like meat that comes from the supermarket then or something about uh, no, because the problem is, okay, so many people think that, you know, we can just eat some kind of sustainable meat, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds beautiful and, you know, and uh, very optimistic and so on. But the problem is that it's just not possible uh, because, because uh, the, you know, the organic and this kind of free range and so on, it will, it will never uh, satisfy the amount of meat the Westerners want to eat. It's just not possible doable we don't have enough of planets to do that and also you know the, the thing is also that uh, some 
reasons why meat is not healthy for us, for, for modern humans. Uh, these are the same compounds that are found both in uh, organic meats and in industrial meats. For example, more and more research points out to things like heme iron, for example, or animal protein per se, and these are present in both types of meat. Of course, organic is better because it doesn't have these antibiotics, hormones, and so on, but it's still not as good as not uh, eating it at all. And, and uh, also for environmental reasons, in some ways, uh, organic production can be even worse because it's taking more land and uh, the production is slower. So from uh, from climate change perspective, uh, you know, you're not doing anything really better. I see. I see. So basically the way that um, or the amount of meat as well as the way that meat is produced within Western society is one of, is a major reason for how uh, meat is going to have a very negative environmental impact. Yeah, there is, there is just unfortunately no way around it. You know, I myself, I crave meat. I would love to eat a lot of meat. But uh, the thing is, you know, I for my own health and for, for the future of our planet, you know, it's, uh, it's not something I, I should be doing. So can you tell us a little bit about how you conceptualize our addiction to meat then? Or like, why is uh, meat consumption increasing? So, you know, it's hard to say it in, uh, you know, five minutes because it took me a whole book to explain it. Uh, but so certainly it all goes back to, you know, when our ancestors started eating meat two and a half million years ago. Uh, basically, back then meat was a very good food for our for 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 our ancestors and the reason for that was it was full of calories uh full of protein and generally lots of mm, vitamins and minerals and they didn't have much other options you know the the foods they were eating they were eating leaves and grass and uh, and even tree bark so you know things that were not particularly nutritious uh and uh, full of fiber and so on so so meat was really good for them uh and and, you know, just like, for example, we evolved to crave sugar, uh, you know, that is misleading us nowadays. You know, sh sugary sweet things were really good for our ancestors as well, because uh, the sweet taste signified that something was full of calories. For example, that the fruit was very ripe, so more full of calories. And uh, so our ancestors evolved to look for this kind of things. And in the same things, the same way, that's very similar to the way to the way we evolved to crave sugar. We evolved to crave meat because back then, for our ancestors, it made sense. It made sense, for example, to look. For for things that were very fatty, like meat, so the fat, the fatty flavors, uh, the fatty mouthfeel, um, you know, and uh, this is something, of course, this is also misleading us in modern times, because, you know, just like, you know, eating uh, a bag of sugar would not be a good idea, the same, you know, the same way, uh, the same way the fatty foods, and we also have evolved to look for the protein uh, taste uh, in meat, and this is uh, something uh, called umami taste, this is the fifth basic taste, and uh, meat is full of it, uh, so, and this signifies to our ancestors exactly that the that the food is full of protein, most likely. So, so we have evolved to look for that, uh, and this kind of mixture of compounds was what they were looking for. And this is still in our taste buds, just like the taste for sugar is in our taste buds. Um, so, this is definitely very, very powerful. It's interesting because you know earlier you were ta also talking about how there's some research to say that meat is not good for our health, and yet if there's some evolutionary um, reason why we crave meat, it seems at odds 
in terms of biology? No, it's actually not at all. That's, this is a very common misconception. So, uh, you know, when you think about it, you know, uh, something that was very good for ancestors, it was good because it allowed them to survive from one day to another. You know, they're uh, just like, for example, for our ancestors, eating a bag full of sugar would be a really good idea. Uh, and the reason for that was that, you know, it gave them lots of calories and, you know, they were usually starving, very hungry, they didn't have enough food. So eating anything that was super caloric was a good idea. Uh, and this is not necessarily good for us, obviously. So their priorities were different. They wanted to survive day to day. And also, you know, they lived much shorter than we do. So uh, they just wanted to... Uh, live long enough to pass on their genes because evolution is not about you having a long happy life it's about you passing on your genes and um so it's only important for you to long enough to have to live long enough to have lots of kids and then you may die uh so you know and nowadays we have very different priorities like meat could give enough calories and uh, nutrients for our ancestors to survive to the age of let's say 35 uh you know nowadays we want to live 60 70 80 90 100 years long uh and it doesn't work anymore you know if you were fine with dying at 35 and having 10 kids and that was all you wanted then great you know eat as much meat as you want but the thing is that, you know, meat causes diseases that only come out later in life. Most people, you know, don't get uh, cancer, diabetes and heart disease in their 20s or 30s. They get it in their 60s, 70s uh, and so on. Uh, and this is what meat causes. Uh, so so this is the problem, you know, and and also the choice. Uh, you know, our ancestors, as I've mentioned before, they had very limited, extremely limited choice of foods. They didn't even have things like potatoes or, you know, or, or lentils or or, you know, things like that that we have nowadays. And there are great, much better sources of nutrients. Uh, you know, for example, peanut butter uh, is uh, on, on, on bread is as complete a source of protein as is meat. But our ancestors didn't have it. Rice and beans is as complete source of proteins. And if they had things like this, you know, they would likely go for it, but they just didn't. So there's a clear biological reason why... Um... We crave meat and then also uh, sort of why uh, it may not be so good for us now because we've uh, our culture, I guess. Just expectations, expectations of life, I guess, you know. I see. Yeah, the expectations. Okay, okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, the, the culture is also still obsessed with meat as well. In your book, you mentioned things like the meat industry as also a reason why we continue eating meat. Uh, obviously, you know, if we are talking about meat industry, you know, they have the money to convince you that you want, that you need to eat meat. And, you know, for the meat industry, meat is just a product. We often forget that. But meat is as, a, as much as a product as shoes or cars or, or you know, or, or, or phones. Uh, they want to sell it and as much as possible uh, in any way possible. So and they have tons of money. Uh, you know, meat industry, uh, the profits of meat industry uh are this are actually higher in United States than the whole GDP of countries like Hungary or Ukraine. So they have tons of money. Uh, you know, if you compare it to the amount of money that's uh, that the vegetable 
industry has you know it even sounds weird to say vegetable industry it doesn't really exist because there are you know there is tomatoes versus you know the actually tomatoes are fruits but uh sure. but so many have, different types of exactly so so they are all competing with each other and meat is very consolidated there are only five basic types of meat and they were really really consolidated the beef industry for example they have tons of money and they invest this money well into things like pr and marketing and so on and and, you know, they even do things like sponsoring studies. Uh, this is one of my favorite things as a journalist, a favorite, like, you know, being sarcastic. And, uh, and uh, you know, you, very often in the, in the media, you see, thing, you see articles or, or, you know, some uh, TV shows, like news, basic, basically saying that, you know, uh, you sh- eating more animal protein is good for you, meat is not so bad, and so on and so on. And in, I have actually never seen a case when this was not based on a study that has been sponsored by the meat industry. So basically, if you go to the actual journal, scientific journal, and you scroll down, you are extremely likely to see, almost certainly, that this this particular study was funded, let's say, by National Chicken Council or by the by, by the uh, by the pork board uh, or the or the beef industry. So. Um, so they load lots of money into things like this. And it's very sad that this kind of studies are still published uh, by scientific journals, even though we know that sponsoring by the industry uh, makes it about four times more likely that the results will be favorable for the for whoever sponsored it. Uh, and, you know, and at the same time, the media, they do not mention that, oh, by the way, this study has been sponsored. Uh, so if they did, you know, you might you may think twice about, uh, you know, what you're reading. So if you're reading, you know, sausages are not are not so bad for you, sponsored by the by the pork industry, you know, you'll think twice, right? So, I mean, this sounds this sounds like a very difficult prospect because I can definitely reflect in my own life, and uh, you know, growing up, like we always had meat in the complete meal, and so obviously this is like a cultural thing, perhaps. Um, maybe it's also sponsored by the meat industry, you know, the, the food pyramid and all this sort of thing. Um, but but what sort of uh, ways can people uh, resist that? Because it sounds it, it sounds like there's a lot of factors stacked against us. <laughs> Uh, certainly for me, I always I always believe that uh, knowledge is the first step. So, for example, things like the protein myths. This is one of the f- w- the favorite ways in which the meat industry convinces us that we need more meat, and it's they basically. C- equal meat with protein and they convince us that we have to eat more protein because somehow the world will collapse if we don't. And the thing is that Westerners are already eating twice as much protein as we need. And this is bad for our kidneys and, and, and bones and so on. So this is bad for our health. And so we certainly do not need any more protein. And uh, and um and yet they convince us that we that we do, and this is completely wrong. But this myth goes on, and it's very deeply ingrained in our culture. Uh, in, our, in my book, I, uh, I trace it to 19th century Germany, uh, how very bad science done back then uh, started this whole obsession about protein. Um, and um, so, so, you know, if you understand things like this, if you understand the symbolism of meat, you know, how meat equals masculinity uh, in advertising, you know, and, and so on, then, then you are much more, less likely 
to uh, fall for it because you know if you if you now you know if I tell you about all the sponsoring studies and you next time you see an article somewhere in a paper saying you know animal protein is good for you for whatever reason uh, then maybe you'll click on a link to a study maybe you'll actually go to the journals in, and check you know has it been sponsored you know or you know, and or at least think twice. You know, see who see who wrote it. You know, there are there are there are a few scientists out there. You know, whose names appear over and over and over again. Uh, you know, well, they almost have written all of those studies, and they take money from the meat industry. I don't want to tell, say any names here, but uh, but you know, if you if you know those things, you are you you are kind of likely to be more skeptical about all this, uh, and uh, and I think this is the very important first step. I think another interesting element of your book is the is the other side, right? Because a meatless diet is the vegetarian diet, and uh, you outline some examples where uh, vegetarianism has been made unattractive. And this was also a great problem, and it still is in many ways. That uh, you know the vegetarian kind of uh, thought was uh, was often attached to many other philosophies you know so it was not only about meat so I'm in my book I'm writing about 19th century and how uh, the vegetarian thought of vegetarian leaders back then in United States states such as for example uh, uh, John Harvey Kellogg or Sylvester Graham who are vegetarian uh, so the Kellogg from the cornflakes and uh, how how uh, they, you know, they had a great chance to, to 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 change something, but unfortunately, they attached a whole very unattractive package to vegetarianism. Uh, so, for example, you know, they Kellogg was actually even uh, um, even uh, for things like female circumcision. So, you know, very unattractive uh, thing, obviously. And uh, and generally, you know, um, and they said no to lots of things. So, like, no alcohol, uh, no sex, no spices you know no tobacco nothing so you know so it was not only about meat and it was a problem because you know they were seen as uh, just too puritanical puritanical sorry and basically sometimes too crazy and um you know, they would sleep on the floor, take cold showers at 4 a.m. and so on. And very unattractive, you know, to anyone. And also the problem was that the food was horrible because they uh, they uh, they said that that vegetarian food should be uh, bland. You know, there should be no spices. It should be overcooked and so on. So it was really horrible and nobody wanted to eat it. And uh, it was one of the reasons why the thought didn't really catch on. Hmm. So are there examples of, uh, you know, uh, people in the world or, or companies that are trying to make vegetarianism more attractive these days that, you know, would help people make that transition? So certainly, you know, at least in terms of cooking, things are much better these days. You know, you have amazing vegetarian foods. And, and this is, in my uh, experience, once one of the best ways to convince people to eat vegetarian, you know, instead of, uh, you know, putting a whole kind of ideological package in front of them. Uh, it's often best to just put something very delicious and just say, you know, just try it. You know, that's it. And so, because one of the biggest obstacles people have to switching to vegetarian diets is uh, basically lack of cooking skills uh, so we don't know how to start they don't know what to prepare and how and basically um, you know in our western culture we have uh, this, uh, something uh, that's uh, when we look on our plate uh, we have four spots on it basically this is how a scientist have figured it out that we have a spot for two spots for some kind of veggies one spot for some kind of potatoes or, or grain so 
could be rice or something else, and one spot for meat. And if you take out meat, we have an empty spot on our plates, and people panic; they don't know what to do with this empty spot. Uh, so, so, uh, so you know, knowing how to cook is extremely important. This is this is why things like the Meatless Monday initiative can really help people because if they, you know, it's less scary to start only with Mondays, right? And once you know how to cook on Mondays, you know, you can start cooking on Tuesdays or Wednesdays as well, the same way. So it's it's just encouraging to you know just try things and um, instead of jumping into a whole package of sometimes very scary ideological idea you know you know ideas and so on right well that's interesting because i think that um you know at least from the vegetarians i've met i know that one of the reasons people say sometimes is that they stop for ethical reasons um the animal cruelty right Yes, you know, certainly it's extremely important as well. And uh, it definitely helps people to stay on vegetarian diets. Uh, studies have shown that uh, people who go uh, vegetarian for ethical reasons, they actually develop phys- physical disgust to meat and it helps them. So they are disgusted by it physically, not just psychologically. And uh, and it really helps them to stay uh, on the diet. So even if somebody, for example, wants to go vegetarian uh, only for health reasons, so they don't really care about, you know, the animal industry or whatever, but it would actually be a good idea for them to watch one of those videos to develop this physical disgust because then it will be just easier to stick to your diet basically coming back to the sort of the biological reasons why we're um, dependent on meat or why we're addicted to meat um, like you're basically saying that there's a little bit of hope there that it's also possible to retrain our bodies to to reject some of the things that maybe aren't so good for our society as it stands today I mean, we cannot really retrain our bodies, but we can uh, we can substitute the taste. So, for example, once we know what is it in meat that we crave, you know, the, the, the fat, the umami uh, taste, uh, there are things also called flavors uh, of the Maillard reaction. So this is a reaction um, that happens when you cook something uh, in very high temperatures in dry environments. So this is the browning on the outer surface of a steak when you're grilling it, or uh, or the browning of bacon on a frying pan, uh, and also, but the same reaction happens when you, for example, bake cookies or toast bread. The same browning and the smells are very delicious uh, for us. We've evolved to crave to crave them as well because it signified that the food was cooked and uh, cooked food was safer to eat. So, uh, so we evolved to crave those things. So, once you know what is it in meat that you crave, you can look for other things. So, for example, you know, a fatty food can be avocado or nuts you know uh on on a toasted uh on a toasted bread for those flavors of my reaction you can add some uh you can add some mushrooms or cheese uh for example parmesan cheese has lots of uh, umami taste so you know so you can you can recreate those tastes that your body is craving with foods that do not have without meat so uh if we know the reasons why we like meat, then we can make those substitutions in our life. Exactly. And we can we can think about we we can and if we also give ourselves the right reasons, then we can also cut out meat, right? Because we'll have a reason for for cutting it out. Exactly. Okay, interesting. Um, so uh, Marta, uh, I guess I want to ask you a little bit about your occupation. Then you're a journalist. Uh, yes, that's right. I'm a science journalist. A science journalist. And so what do you see as the, the major um, challenges of, of, your, of your job in communicating science? 
so definitely, you know, the sponsoring studies, as I've mentioned before, it's a very big obstacle, that's for sure. But also, uh, you know, also the way media works and I cannot see how it's going to change, unfortunately. But the problem is that uh, in the media, there is a need for something new all the time. So, you know, and in, in especially in nutrition sciences, uh, things don't really change that much uh, as opposed to what people think. They actually don't. So, uh, so, but the problem is that if I wanted to sell an article uh, saying, eat more vegetables, they're good for you, nobody's going to print it because there is nothing new. We've all read it, we've all heard it over and over again. So so uh, the editors are looking for something new and shocking. And new and shocking is often new and shocking because it's not the main, main it's not mainstream science. Uh, so, but the problem is that people, when they are reading it, they, it seems confusing because it seems like both sides are equally right, but they are not because, you know, it's just the, the way media works that they don't publish things that are established science because it's boring. So, <laughs> so, so when you're working with editors, um, is it your job then to try to make these sort of, um, important truths uh, stand out and, and and be interesting in the moment, even though they may have been said for for many many years. <laughs> That's the biggest challenge, exactly. How to say eat more veggies again, you know, and make it still interesting. Okay, great. Uh, that's that's very enlightening. Um, okay, so this is the part of the show that we call the Grokatron 5000. Um, and how that works is I'm going to ask you a series of multiple choice questions. And for a lucky listener of our radio program, should you get three of these questions correct, they'll receive a copy of your book, Meat Hooked, uh, which was a great book to read, and uh, hopefully we'll get the book out there for more people. Um, so are you ready to play? Yes, I'm ready. Excellent. Okay, so the first question is, um, who is the mascot of the second largest, as measured by sales, restaurant, which has a meat in its name? Is it A, Ronald McDonald? B, Colonel Sanders, C, Burger King, or D, Shamu? Okay, I'm guessing it's Ronald McDonald's, but okay. <laughs> so it's uh, it's the second largest restaurant. Which A second has, largest. Yeah, which has meat in its name. So the restaurant okay, so has to have... not the first. Yeah, um, not the first. And it has to have meat in its name, the restaurant name. Okay, I, I have to admit I have no idea what Shamu is, and I'm not American, so that's the problem. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, these are like difficult symbols, right? <laughs> Sorry, I actually so, don't know. So Ronald McDonald is your guess? Um, no, because I think this, will, this is going to be the number one. So uh, mm -hmm. it has mm -hmm. to be one of those other ones. Um, uh, so the other ones are B, Colonel Sanders, C, the Burger King, or D, Shamu. Uh, I only know Burger King from those two other ones. Uh, but it doesn't have meat in the name of the, of the... So it has to be one of the other ones. Mm -hmm. I'll just guess... I don't know, Shamu. I have no idea what it is, but I, I'm going to guess. <laughs> um, unfortunately, that's incorrect. It's the Colonel Sanders. And the restaurant okay, I don't name know is, what it is. <laughs> the restaurant name is Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, okay. I know the restaurant, but I didn't know the, the, the mascot. The mascot. Yeah, he's um he's like made out to be a southern a southern man. <laughs> okay. Um, who cooks this chicken like a secret recipe or something like this. All right, sorry, I'm I, I'm not. No, American. no worries, no worries. You, you have many other uh, many other uh, opportunities here. Um, okay, so there is a. Uh, the next question is, 
uh, a new product from a California-based company called Impossible Foods okay. claims their meaty taste is produced um, by genetically engineering yeast to produce what key molecule? Uh, so they, so uh, oh, we are talking. I have multiple choice, but uh, okay, 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 go on. <laughs> we, can, we can talk after after I give you the selection. Sure. So you can think a bit. Um, a is heme, B is fat, C is dextrose, and D is myosin. Uh... Sorry, I, but you wanted to say something about the question. So can you can you go again with the because it's okay then the the, the answers are not what I was uh, the the key Thinking? the choices are kind of not what I know <laughs> there is. <laughs> okay. um, Impossible Foods claims their meaty taste is produced by genetically engineering yeast to produce yes. what key molecule? Are the so molecules? Usually should be a protein. So it could be a protein. <laughs> Is I it, mean, they produce protein by using yeast, but mm. okay. Uh, is it heme, fat, dextrose, or myosin? It's probably myosin, I'm guessing. And this is what they claim on their, their website or whatever. I, yeah. I, they, they may create more things with this yeast. I'm just not sure. Okay. Myosin. Yes. Um, actually, they claim that they make uh, heme in their yeast. So okay. that's the red. I guess it's. The, I guess, oh yes, it's the iron, of course. But uh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's <clears throat> possible. That's that's possible. Usually, usually yeast is used to produce proteins, but it, of course, it can be. You know, mm -hmm. it can. Mm -hmm. I guess they could modif modify it as well. Well, hopefully, a new uh, meat substitute, you know, coming out from from these labs. Okay, Th third question. <laughs> you still have a chance here. Um, what fruit or vegetable? is high in the umami compound glutamic acid, which also the salt of which is uh, monosodium glutamate, MSG. Mm -hmm. uh, is, it, I, yeah, is it tomatoes, apples, plantains, or avocados? Okay, that's easy. Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Correct. Correct. Yeah, uh, there's some recipes and people replace, when you're talking about replacement, I know that tomatoes are something that's used often. Um, okay. Uh, next question. <laughs> what famous reduced meat diet, named after a Japanese island, is sometimes credited with long life and reduced risk of heart disease? Uh, yes, I know which one you're talking about. Is it uh, A, okay. Hokkaido, mm -hmm. B, Okinawa, mm -hmm. C, Kyushu, mm -hmm. or D, Taiwan? It's Okinawa. Okinawa, correct. Um, did you ever cover anything about this diet before? No, but I, I, I mean, I didn't write an article specifically on it, but I know it. It's just kind of quite something that's wide, widely known as well. I see. Okay. And uh, the last question we have for you, um, hopefully we can get this book out, <laughs> is uh, what is one of the countries that the gaucho hail from? So these are skilled horsemen ranchers who hold a special national significance for the country. Mm -hmm. Is it A, Argentina? B, Mexico, C, Chile, or D, Iran? Uh, it's Argentina. Argentina, correct. Oh, thank you very much for playing. And you got three of those questions right, so hopefully okay, we'll be if, able to... As long as you're not American, specifically American, that is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have thought about that when I made the question. Um, so thank you very much for joining me, Marta. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to the listeners out there? Uh, I think we've covered most of it uh, quite well, I guess. So, you know, obviously, uh, 
you know, we didn't talk about symbolism of meat and, and uh, you know, the ma- meat and masculinity and all these kind of things, but it's such a big topic that, as I said, you know, it took me uh, a year and a half to write a book, and so and it's, uh, then we cannot really cover it in, uh, in a half an hour here, so... Yeah. For sure. Well, I think if listeners want to know more, they can always purchase your book Yeah, and, and learn about it there. I think that you did a really good job referencing a lot uh, through um, the footnotes and so forth. And uh, there's a lot to learn from, from what you compiled for us. Thank you. 